0: The ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Roly Sussex. It's that time of the day. The ABC's Word Wizard, Roly Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here willing and able to talk to you about words, language and linguistics. And how do you find it in Huddersfield, Rolly? Good morning or afternoon? Hey, good morning. I'm up in Huddersfield. <laughs> I'm loving it. I just think it's got to be one of the most tremendous accents. I wish I had an accent as cool as that sometimes. So I do love my uh, uh, an uh, uh, approximation of an Australian accent, Rolly. How Field What's drawn you to Huddersfield in Yorkshire?
1: Oh, there's some. Some very good friends I haven't seen for 25 years, and also they have twins, and I'm godfather to one of them, so uh, they're they're Polish friends from way, way back, and uh, I've been making connection over a a long period of absence. But the the thing about regional England is that the accents are persisting. Um, In the big cities like London, it's a bit of a mishmash, but here in Huddersfield, uh, they call it Huds, H-U-D-D-S, so they do the same thing as we do, they shorten names, and I have been called Deary in a shop, and a lady who was getting our table ready in a restaurant said, are "You are me lovelies." I haven't been called that ever. Oh, so um, nice. It, it's a very nice, warm, relaxed, friendly sort of sort of thing. And we had the most marvelous pub lunch yesterday. So Huddersfield Ardys- and West Yorkshire are are very, very lot. a great deal of fun.
0: Well, we're all very jealous, and there are a great number of people who hail from them their parts who are getting very sentimental and homesick on the text line. Thank you for your texts. Keep them coming. <laughs> now, you said the accents were persisting in the UK. Rolly, just remind us, why, why is there such variation in the UK? How did that all come about?
1: It came about because until about 1800, most people didn't move more than about 20 miles from their work, their place of birth. So they married local, and their children grew up in a household where both parents had the same sort of accent. After that time, people started moving to the big cities like Birmingham and Manchester and uh, London, of course. And they married different people, and the children grew up with the local accent. And dialects are going on. No, they're on, on the skids everywhere around the world. But in, in regional England, they're still pretty pretty strong. And in some places, you can actually tell someone from the village three miles down the road because they've got some different words for certain things. And that gives me a lot of pleasure because in Australia, we've, we've got different words but not much of different accents with the partial exception of South Australia. Because in 1851, we got the gold rush and we became a nation of people on the move. And we haven't had this... Sitting down in one place, developing local customs, local folklore, and local ways of saying things so in australia you it's people like Louise who come from outside and enrich our, our language geography by talking away of the place they came from which is which is great, and I hope she doesn't lose it
0: no it's it's really wonderful and um it's one of the things I really enjoy doing playing around with uh different English accents. I remember growing up watching television shows from the BBC and loving the different sounds of speech. And um, so great that you're enjoying it in the uh, in the very country from whence these accents came. So Professor Rolly Sussex, what would you like to offer us as far as observations about uh, language either in Huddersfield, in West Yorkshire, the UK, um, and maybe the connections to language here in Australia before we start taking some of your callers who are really eager to have a word in your ear?
1: Well, the last three weeks I've been in Finland, Estonia, Poland, and Germany, and I've been blown away by the increase of English. Uh, now, in, in Finland, they've got two national languages, Finnish and Swedish, and all of the signs, you know, street signs, uh, things you know, telling you where to go on, on, on the motorway, all into both languages. Often, they have English as well, and English has become the lingua franca of Europe, even though... Britain is separated by Brexit, and all the people I talk to in in Europe uh, just, you know, their eyes glaze over and they say, what are the Brits doing with this Brexit thing? They they really shouldn't have done that. Uh, So English, thanks to American and traveling, and and the fact that I think people regard it as a, a useful way of sharing things if they don't have a language in common, has become all over the place. Are um, very much uh, you know the the lingua franca that you use when you don't have a, you don't speak the local language. Now I think that when you go to a country, you ought to take a bit of trouble to learn some of the key phrases like hello and good morning and thank you and please, uh, and and these are a part of you know the minimal good manners in a restaurant, say, or if you're asking directions in the street, and if you try people will come more than halfway to meet you and will often say, oh, you must be from an English-speaking country. I'll talk your language. And in Finland, someone said to me, look, Finnish is rather difficult. Nobody learns it, so we had to learn English anyway. And it makes us as English speakers really very lazy. So when I went to Estonia, which is a small country, population a bit over a million, um, I learnt to say hello, which is tere, and good morning, which is tere Homikust, and goodbye, which is hea da aega, and my name is Roli, which is Minunimion Roli. And thank you is um, Aita. And if you start doing these things, the locals will feel that you are not just a tourist shouting at them in some foreign language but you understand and respect their language as well. And, you know, something like kus on which is where's the loo in Estonian, a very useful phrase.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because um, if I was to visit the UK, uh, I would be sorely tempted to speak in the accent of the county in which I was staying, Uh, not Mm -hmm. in any other way other than just to, I don't know, it's just like this this natural inclination that I have, but I'm really careful to not do that really. Cause the last thing I would want is for someone to feel like I was in any way uh, mocking or, or making fun of, of the mm-hmm. accent. And I think that's sometimes the challenge, isn't it? With, with language moving away from the, la- like an accent of a language that you speak, but people sometimes hold themselves back, not wanting to butcher the language. But I guess what you're saying is if you're, if you're coming at it from the best place with the right intentions, it is an encourageable thing.
1: That's right. It's like holding out a hand to someone and saying, "Good morning. I'm pleased to see you." Uh, and I, I do think, you know, when when I get to languages like Polish or German, which I do speak, I get a fantastic a uh, buzz from being able to share things with people on the street. Uh, and they look at me and they say, "Look, yeah, you're not you're not Polish, but where are you from?" And I think, "Yeah, i got I've got something there." So uh, very much recommended. English people are famous for being terrible language learners, and we can do a great deal for international. Uh, goodwill, by learning some of these basic phrases. I've got a list of, you know, 10 like you're welcome and excuse me and so on, uh, which are really not difficult. And if you get onto Google Translate or a a website called Deeple, D-E-E-P-L, they've got a, a translating facility and audio, and you can listen to the way you should pronounce these things to get you started. And once you're started, you're really doing well.
0: I always find uh, I have an easy time of learning how to say cheers in the language of the country of which I am <laughs> hosted. Martin and Chelma, what would you like to know?
1: Thanks, Gather and good to hear your travels through Europe, Rolly. They're really interesting. So well done. I don't know how many more we listen to, but um, safe journey home, whenever it is. Uh, and oh, I did get Yorkshire right. I've never got. I've never guessed Huddersfield. I, I'm I'm bringing it closer to home, and I'm sure that. Um, the uh, state of origin was on Prime TV last night in the UK, really. But um, the the thing that's a, a perennial question is uh, maroon and maroon. and uh-huh. lengthy discussions on radio. And I just wondered if you could give your a definitive version of what it should be. Okay. Well, the the dictionaries say maroon is the way you should pronounce M-A-R-W-O-N, but in Queensland and actually in a lot of other parts of Australia, maroon is locally standard. I have a friend who was involved in editing the Australian Oxford Dictionary. He comes from Geelong, and he said that where he grew up, everybody said maroon, not just when talking to talking about the Queensland rugby league team, but about generally about the colour. So it's a it's a weird kind of thing in, in terms of the the spelling. You'd expect to say maroon, and it comes from French, which is marron, which is the the word for a chestnut and also for that colour. But nonetheless, local local variation is terribly strong, and uh, didn't the maroons play well? I watched a little bit from some clips, and I thought, yay, we're in another year.
0: <laughs> quite right, quite right, Martin. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. M-
1: Thanks
0: Murray at the Gem Fields, just west of Emerald. Murray, g'day. Go ahead.
1: Oh yeah, just on that maroon and maroon thing. Uh, I've always called it maroon because yes. Uh, it distinguishes the colour against when you're stuck on a desert island, you know. And I think you're (laughs) marooned, (laughs) then. You are. You are. Well done. Yeah, my question is, uh, the word nincompoop, where the hell does that come from?
0: Nincompoop. What a word, Rolly. Right.
1: Yeah, nincompoop is is a, uh, it's I think about 17th century. Uh, The guess is that it possibly comes from the name Nicholas. Um, And possibly from Nicodemus in the Bible. It's one of these things where uh, someone got it wrong and other people didn't realize how they were getting it wrong and, and copied it, and it just became anchored in the language. No one knows for sure where it came from. It's about 400 years old, and it means a foolish or silly person. It's, it's a kind of indulgent, actually. If you call someone a, a nincompoop, it, it means, oh, you know, you, you've got things a bit wrong. Whereas if you call them, a, you know, a daft idiot or something, and by the way, they like the word daft up here in Yorkshire, um, then that's much stronger. So nincom, poop is actually quite friendly. All right, well, let's clear that up for Thank you very you much.
0: Murray, thank you. Um, Rolly, I just wanted to, to pull up on a, a point that a contributor a little earlier made in regards to the word disinterested. Mm-hmm. Neil at Peringiad Beach was wondering oh, yes. whether the the meaning of the word disinterested has been lost.
1: It has pretty much so. Um, Uninterested means you're bored and uh, not involved in sharing something. And disinterested used to mean even-handed and fair. In other words, I'm not showing favoritism one way or the other. But it isn't used very frequently, and a lot of people now use uninterested and disinterested as pretty well meaning the same thing. So I'm afraid a useful distinction has been, is in the process of being lost. And when someone says disinterested, you're not always sure whether they mean been being fair and even-handed or just bored. And in a case like that, I think the word will probably fall out of use, which is a great pity because it was useful.
0: Hmm. All right. Uh, that's the word disinterested. Just Elizabeth with a question. Hi, Elizabeth. What would you like to know? Oh, good afternoon. Yes. Um, something that I
1: always say one way, and I've heard often on the radio recently, is um, I say, uh, which do I say? Contribute. Contribute, I say. And I often hear them say, contribute. And it sounds wrong. Who's right? It depends where you are. And I'm afraid this is something that the British are responsible for. Um, They have introduced a shift of the street to the first syllable, so it's contribute and distribute in England. And the BBC's taken it up, which means that a lot of people are imitating. The traditional one and the, all the good dictionaries, including the British Oxford and the Australian Oxford, say contribute and distribute and contribution and distribution. And contribute and distribute are British variants. They popped up in the last 20 years for no obvious reason, and they're now pretty much standard in Britain, I'm afraid. Uh, if you want to draw a line in the sand and say you are preserving the great in- tra- tradition of English, contribute and distribute, do very nicely, and I will talk to you with pleasure. If you say contribute, you don't think it is. Hmm. Thank you. It's just as long as I wasn't completely wrong. Oh, no. no but both are correct. And if you say contribute and distribute in in Britain, a lot of people will think that you're being a bit overcorrect and careful, uh, whereas yes. they will normally normally say con- uh, can contribute and distribute and it's it's an example of how with no apparent reason language can sometimes shift and then it takes root and people follow it and you get a new norm or rather in our case in australia we get two norms one of which is the way we've always said things and the other is the way british visitors say things and when you're in england i'm actually a bit, a bit of a loss what i should say i tend to say they contribute and distribute and people sometimes look at me uh, you know i is he pulling our legs. So it can be quite problematic. Yes. With all the different accents in England, I remember, um, oh, oh, it must have been in about 1943, down in Cornwall. And as a child, no. I was about 10 then. And um, the when the local uh, Cornish people were speaking to each other, it was really like a foreign language. You could not understand them at all until they mm-hmm. spoke to you. Yep. And they'd speak differently so that it was clear to you, even though... Of course, right. they still have the Cornish accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, full-on Cornish is not easy to understand. My my folk come from Somerset and, and Devon, which is down that part of the country. and you know, they, they, they they talk a little bit like this, and they have butter and things, and they're an hour after owls. Um, a bit like Walter Gabriel in The Archers of Ambridge, if anyone remembers that British series. But a lot of these people have got at least two dialects, one of which is the local version that they use to Friends, and which can be very broad. Um, there are some people from the north of Scotland. I, I actually asked one, was that English? And he said, yeah, can't you understand this? And the answer is <laughs> the way they talk it to each other, and you're quite right, is much broader than the way they will modify their talk mm. when talking to foreigners or strangers like me. So it's, it's a, a language skill, uh, and they do it very, very well. It's lovely to listen to it as well.
0: Thank you so much, Elizabeth, at Serena okay. Rowley.
1: Getting a the air cop, we of going to pictures. <laughs> well, off a crown, it perfectly looks. Pictures, and them does. Then I was of you could go in past suits for off a crown. They were right though.
0: How'd you go with that translation?
1: <laughs> uh, I got bits of it, and I think your earlier really caller was from uh, from Halifax, was closer than I am. I sometimes have to stop and ask people to slow down a bit because I I no I, I simply am not part of that dialect area. Um, no, the, the man on the railway said, oh, trains on, on Platform 14. And I got that all right. And then he said something I had to ask him to repeat twice it was about where it was going to. So, you know, if you give the impression of understanding, sometimes people will drop into their local variety. And actually, I think this is a, a lovely feature of the language. It shows that people's local variants are alive and well. And they, because of this if you like, by dialectalism. They can can do at least two dialects of the language, one for their friends and one for foreigners. Uh, It's a great language skill, and I just sit there with my mouth open and listen to them.
0: Well, Rolly, we love to sit and listen to you. Thank you so much for having a word in our ear this afternoon from uh, Old Blighty, and uh, we look forward to having you back in the Sunshine State before too long. Rolly, have you a last word for us this afternoon?
1: I have some thoughts about diet heart attacks in speaking english here we go the japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the british or the americans the french eat a lot of fat and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the british or the americans the japanese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the british or americans the italians drink excessive amounts of red wine and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the british or americans The Germans drink a lot of beer and eat lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. Conclusion, eat and drink what you like. Speaking English is what kills you.
0: A pleasure and a privilege as ever, Professor. Thank you so much and safe travels.
1: Thank you, Kat. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: ABC.